0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, Dr. Isaac Bogosh is back with us, infectious diseases specialist, Toronto General Hospital, professor at the University of Toronto, and member of the Ontario Vaccination Rollout Task Force. And Dr. Bogosh has been really great to us with his time for almost a year now. Did you have an idea, Dr. Bogosh, when we began that that we'd be going on for as long as we have been? Or did was your sense we'd be going on for years?
1: Well, unfortunately, when it became clear that it was going to be a pandemic sometime in, in February, you sort of got the sense that we'd be dealing with this for a while. Um, and hope, as much as I love speaking with you, hopefully this really starts to wind down in the spring. Uh, and, and we just, it's becoming less and less and less of an issue as vaccines roll out across Canada and as Quite frankly, I think the seasonality component kicks in as well. So there's going to be a lot of good reasons why this starts to get a bit better late February, early March, and continues to get better throughout the year. So maybe we'll talk less frequently then.
0: Well, I mean, I enjoy our conversations as well, and we have an agreement that when it's over, we'll go for chicken wings. But uh, oh yeah, I hope that soon. Uh, so <laughs> on on this issue of the vaccine rollout, and there's a lot of there are a lot of questions about the uh, the pace of the uh, rollout. And there's, there's a sense of frustration that it's going to take far longer than we expected, maybe far longer than is happening in some of our complementary jurisdictions, like the United States and the UK. What's your sense of that? You're on the Vaccine Task Force for the province of Ontario.
1: I think there's I break it down into two two big components. One is supply, and one is distribution of the existing supply. Certainly, the distribution was slow. I think that's fair to say from coast to coast, It was slower than it should have been i think even when we explain and give a little bit of uh tolerance for some wiggle room to get all these programs up and running they should have been firing on all cylinders by the turn of the year and they were still unfortunately rather slow very valid criticism ontario for example even slowed vaccines even more and stopped vaccinating on christmas over christmas holidays which you know in a pandemic is unacceptable but since the i would say over the last four or five days from coast to coast, many of these programs have ramped up dramatically, which brings us to issue number two is supply. And you can only only administer what you get from the federal government. Kudos to the federal government for getting us supply. I mean, quite frankly, if we were talking two months ago, we would have been talking about vaccines probably starting sometime in the first quarter of 2021. That to me means March in government terms. And we actually started putting needles in arms in Canada on December 14th. So great news that we got it earlier. But of course, we want a bigger supply uh, because it looks like the efficiency of the programs to deliver it is has ramped up. And they do have the capacity to deliver a large number of vaccines on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be an issue, isn't it? Uh, I spoke with Daryl Bricker, the president of Ipsos Public Affairs and polling that was done. And between seven and eight million Canadians are ready today with their sleeves rolled up or their sleeve rolled up for the vaccine. And if it doesn't happen in some sort of understandable schedule and acceptable schedule, there'll be political fallout. And sometimes I wonder, well not sometimes, I wonder this all the time, whether politics just gets involved in everything. But what would you say, and there's a communication issue as well, what would you say to people who ask, and I get emails, people asking me when they're gonna get vaccinated, I have no idea what should we, how should we be approaching this? Because we hear about different uh, different generations, we hear about different uh, health issues, if you have comorbidities, uh, all of this comes into play. So is there, a, is there a rule of thumb that we should be applying as far as when we should expect to be uh, have vaccination uh, available to us individually across the country?
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there really is. And quite frankly, like, just to your earlier point, I'd approach this like a crisis, because it is a crisis. And with any crisis, you have to have crisis management communication, which means daily communication. People should really know, have the same person at the same place at that same time every day saying, here's what's happening, here's what's going well, here's what's not going well, and here's how we're going to improve what's not going well. And then take questions from the media to answer everyone's questions. And you're going to do it every single day because it's a crisis and that's what you do in crisis crisis management communication. In terms of when everyone's going to expect to be vaccinated, you know, a lot of this depends on the, on the national supply. And if it takes, it, I know it sounds so obvious, but if it takes longer for us to get more vaccines, it's going to take longer to administer more vaccines. In general, in general, it's going to take at least March, sorry, January, February, maybe into early March to vaccinate the highest of high priority groups that are outlined in most provinces. That's those who live and work in long-term care and healthcare providers, some indigenous communities, but I think as we get into later February or probably early March, hopefully not later than that, we're going to start to see this more broadly available from other high impact groups, uh, that meaning, you know, elderly communities, people with other comorbidities that might put them at greater risk for having a severe outcome. And that's going to be defined differently from province to province. But I think we're hopefully going to rapidly and massively expand these programs Sometime in March, maybe mid to late March, or even early April, when the supply is expected to greatly increase, and that's what all the planning is now for for that time. So currently, it's mostly I know I'm blabbing on and on, but I think it's important. Currently, many places are really administering vaccines through a few select locations in their province. I can speak for Ontario that when supply uh, really ramps up, you're going to start to see vaccines rolled out in primary care clinics, in pharmacies in public health clinics, in community centers. That's the plan, and that's been articulated. And, and I think that's a good plan because you've got to get people access. People are comfortable going to their doctor or going to the pharmacy to get their vaccine. They're comfortable going to their local community center because it's a trustworthy uh, place where they feel okay and safe. And, uh, and that's the best place to administer these vaccines. So that's supply limiting, but that's the plan when supply is, is there.
0: And there will be an emotional plus. You know, mental health is uh, is a major issue during this pandemic, and I've been saying on this program for some time now. There is a parallel pandemic to COVID, and that is the mental health pandemic that exists as people increasingly become uh, despondent, discouraged. I, I, I actually read a story the other day that dogs are becoming depressed. Because they're in the company, the company, the humans they love, but the humans they love are so down, are feeling so down. The dog becomes depressed, and won't eat, and won't play. So this this thing has to be uh, this thing has to be uh, overcome. At the same time, as you have pointed out many times, it's amazing that within a short, such a short period of time, vaccines have have been uh, have been created, and that speaks to the expertise, and that speaks to the dedication of the uh, of, of the scientists who who create these vaccines. Uh, do you want to talk about that, and then yeah. like to, I'd like to ask you about the the, the long term mobility, more mo- not mobility. We know it's mobile, morbidity from COVID.
1: Sure, but I, I like your point. I mean, the, I, you, we got to tackle mental health face right head to head. You can't just skirt it. You can't just sweep it under the rug. There's a lot of reasons why people will have mental health issues now, and that doesn't just mean depression or anxiety. That could also mean substance abuse and many other things. And like you know. Real shocker, we've been in a pandemic, you've been locked in your homes, you're financially constrained, you're psychologically and emotionally uh, you know, targeted by this. This is awful. And it's no surprise that mental health issues are going to be and continue to be a big, big problem. I think the key thing here is, number one, it's okay to not be okay. It is completely okay to not be okay. But if you acknowledge that, then the right thing to do is to reach out to people who can help. Dear family, dear friends, community members, uh, your, your care team, and, and you, you really got to acknowledge it and reach out. The other thing I think we can do is acknowledge that other people might not be doing okay and to sincerely reach out to those who are close to us to check in beyond the, hey, are you okay? Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Like beyond that, like really a deeper dive and check in because there are a lot of people that might seem okay that aren't. Um, yeah. That's that's a big issue. I, okay. I'm with you all the way on that.
0: And, and let's get at this issue of um, the, the, the long-term morbidity that is associated with COVID. What do we need to know?
1: Well, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of people that get this infection will recover and will recover and be totally fine and will not need to seek health care. And that's, we can't lose sight of that. Now, that's not saying this isn't a bad infection. It is. People are getting sick, people are dying, this is a national emergency, it's pretty clear. But still, the younger you are, the less likely you are to have severe infections. The older you are, the more likely you are to have severe infections. You know, bad things can still happen to young people. Young people, people with no risk factors can still go to hospital, but in general, the older you are, the more likely you are to land in hospital with this, the more likely you are to die. What happens if you get COVID, you're sick enough to go to hospital, you're recovering, you go home? Well, there's now data that ranges about six months after that. And it shows that a considerable number of people, about two-thirds of people, will have some lingering symptoms. These are, for pe- these are people who are sick enough to be in hospital. Fatigue, sleep disturbances, mood changes. And you know, the question is, is that real? Is that really COVID? And the answer is it probably is. I think the other important point is, if you're sick enough to land in hospital with a severe infection, you know, regardless of COVID, if you're sick enough to be in hospital, um you know some it does take a while you don't just waltz out of hospital so i'm not denying that this happens in covid it does it's real and it has to you have we have to pay attention to it it's also important to note that it happens with a lot of other conditions as well it's just that there's so many people landing in hospital with covid which means there's going to be so many people with chronic issues recovering from hospital with covid which means that this is going to be an ongoing issue for us to contend with in canada
0: yeah, I, as you were speaking, i just thinking that I'm going to be so glad when COVID isn't part of the daily conversation any longer. Yeah,
1: but, you and me both.
0: Yeah, really huge. I mean, this has been the focal point of your life
1: professionally. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to studying tropical parasites and human species like a normal yeah, person.
0: Yeah, like, like a normal person. Okay. Um, there's nothing normal about, about COVID. It's just taken us all by you know, by the ear and dragging us metaphorically along wherever it wants to go. So let me get at this. Now we have these stories. I don't know if these two are uh, related or not, but I'll run it by you. Um, This talk about these COVID variants, the most recent from South Africa, which has been discovered in Alberta. And then there's the story of vaccine hesitancy among some healthcare professionals in the United States, where I've heard and read doctors and nurses. Do Do those two fit together, those two points?
1: Ah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the the clearly the variance is an issue. You know, the one, almost all, not all, but almost all of them that have been studied to date suggest that the vaccine should work. But uh, the one, from, there's one from South Africa that's still an outlier, and it's not entirely clear about that one. But many of the other ones, the vaccine should provide protection. Um, all the more reason to vaccinate as many people as we can. Hesitancy is a problem. Hesitancy is totally going to be a problem. It's more of a problem in the United States, but it's still a problem here in Canada. Um, We need to do a much better job in listening to people's questions, uh, taking an empathetic approach, not pointing fingers, not shaming and blaming, addressing these questions and and taking it seriously. And, uh, you know, I can see why some people are hesitant and that's fine. It's just where is the coordinated national and provincial response? To communicating vaccine vaccine safety and, and really addressing these questions, and I think we need to be a bit more organized on that front because, quite frankly, we just need more people vaccinated when it becomes widely available so that we can get our health and our economy back.
0: Yeah. Well, as you said earlier in this segment, there has to be better communication from government.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think so. I, I I really think so. And uh, you know, communication from government doesn't necessarily mean having some spokesperson stand up and talk. It also could mean organized, uh, you know, here's some standardized resources of what we believe to be important information to convey and then have professional communicators and, and marketers and advertisers use that to blast that across social media and mainstream media in age language and culturally appropriate manners to help inform the general public about vaccines, public health, policy and drive positive behavior you know if you just have the same you know you just have one person standing up and talking in a press conference great you know you're gonna you're only going to adhere to appeal to a certain demographic and and you you really have to speak to 38 million people so right uh we right. really need to do a bit a better job on that front
0: well you certainly do a great job of talking to all 38 million people in this country and you've been doing it for for ten months, and as you said earlier, I hope uh, that we don't need to call on you as much as uh, we have <laughs> in the past soon, and uh, that we, you and I, have that uh, that chicken wings lunch. Hold up. Yeah, wait. Good. if you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green.